Welcome to Healthy Choices with your host, Ray Solano from Austin, Texas. We're ready for your calls right now. Call in toll-free at 877-956-9566. Now, here's your host, Ray Solano. Welcome to Healthy Choices XM. We're broadcasting live from Austin, Texas. We're going to enjoy today's topic, Medicine Today. Is it substandard standard of care treatment? Well, we'll talk about that today. I'm your host, Ray Solano, and we welcome all of our new listeners. If you just tuned in for the first time, our show focuses on the choices you have in healthcare and how to make educated choices in your daily routine that just may change your life. Our phone number is 877-956-9566. If you'd like to text us, you can text us at 512-219-0724. Even if you're listening to this on a podcast, we'll definitely get back to you. Our website is healthychoicesxm.com if you'd like to follow up any information or any of the items featured on our show. We'd like to thank the sponsors of our radio show, Prescription Dispensing Labs, better known as PD Labs, for your support of this integrative medicine show in discovering the root cause of many chronic conditions. Check out the website, pdlabsrx.com, for more information on the patent prescription formulas to treat symptoms such as mold, Lyme, and conditions such as Peyronie's disease and traumatic brain, traumatic brain injuries. A little bit of tongue-tied there. And joining us today is Dr. Ken Knott. He's the medical director and founder of Health Horizons in Marietta, Georgia. Dr. Knott is recognized as one of the most gifted physicians in hormone replacement, having a positive effect on healing. He's the author of the book, Dangerous Medicine, What Your Doctor Doesn't Know Can Hurt You. Dr. Knott, welcome to Healthy Choices XM. Well, thank you for having me, uh, Ray. I appreciate it. You know, I always love the topic of your book, Dangerous Medicine, What Your Doctor Doesn't Know Can Hurt You. I understand there's, there's been some editing to what you really wanted to have on the topic of that book, isn't there? Yeah, um, I actually suggested What Your Doctor Doesn't Know Can Kill You, but he said that's a little strong, so I, <laughs> I backed off and said hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it, that, might, it's, that might offend a few people, so I, I backed off of that one. Well, <laughs> the, the people that enjoy our, our podcast and our show that we, you know, we understand we are plain speak for, for people that want to get the answers. So you, it seems that healthcare is switching today, that the consumers are having a lot more choices in their healthcare than ever before. And they're, they're pretty savvy. I mean, you, we, patients are much more intelligent than they ever were before. They're, they're being have access to medical information, maybe not be correct, but they they're getting much more uh, information than ever before. So they're they're looking everywhere, uh, medicines around the world. So this is something that uh, you know our, people enjoy our show. And one of the things I wanted to kick off today's show as we talked about the standard of care, if you could just give to our listeners your definition of the standard of care and why it's it can be sometimes uh, uh, bad for people's health. Well, the standard of care is a good thing, but you would assume that the standard of care would be correct. And when you make those assumptions without considering all the evidence against it being correct, then you're making a mistake. And unfortunately, doctors are trained to not question the standard of care. And the other part of that is if you question the standard of care, you, you can get yourself into trouble. Right. Uh, but there's so many things 
uh, in medicine that we're taught that are correct that are simply not correct. Uh, and I can I can give you examples if you like. Uh, sure. Starting with with exactly what I do in hormones. The, uh, number one, uh, thyroid testing is simply wrong the way it's done typically. That's the first thing that's wrong. Second thing that's wrong, and this is according to the standard of care, is that the range of normalcy is wrong. Uh, what is normal and what is optimal are two different things, but we're not taught what's optimal for optimal health. We're taught what is normal in a population of people that are sick and people that are well. Well, if you include values that are, are, of sick people, then you're skewing the results in the wrong direction. And as a result, a lot of people don't get treated or are undertreated in regard to thyroid. And that's just one problem. You know, that, that, that covers so many people. Unfortunately, the statistics are that 80% of the people suffering from memory problems or forgetfulness have an underlying underactive thyroid that was a article that was just that just uh, just listed this last week and it's really unfortunate because they are all coming back normal and that's a, yeah. that's one of the i guess it's one of the biggest controversial issues is this topic of normal because the way that it comes the way that these standards are for normal is really a almost a throwing a dart on a board it's not very scientific is it no no it is not scientific and they don't consider the many variables uh, that are included in making the decision of what is actually the proper range um, an example for thyroid and this was pointed out years and years ago by uh, Rhoda Barnes who he was an endocrinologist uh, he wrote the book hypothyroidism the unsuspected illness it's a it's a great book uh, but he said that uh, starting in the 90s, we were going to go into a period of an epidemic of hypothyroidism. And indeed, that is exactly what's happening. Uh, but the powers that be that uh, adhere to the standard of care that they consider correct are still saying it's about 10 percent of our population, when in fact it's about 60 percent. They're off by a factor of six. So there is only one out of six uh, people being diagnosed with hypothyroidism that actually have it. So that's why people are, are running around to their doctor saying, I'm tired, I don't feel good, I can't heal, uh, I have no memory, I have foggy thinking, my nails are brittle, my hair is falling out. Uh, I, um, I, you know, there's just so many symptoms of hypothyroidism, joint pain, muscle pain, headaches, um, and the many others mentioned, but they don't consider the, the person to be hypothyroid because of the faulty testing that's used. Uh, so it's a, it's a real dilemma. And these people aren't evil people, Ray. They're, you know, right. doctors are not evil. They, they just are, are instructed in the wrong way, and the powers that be don't change the textbooks because they have accepted this as a standard of care again. And the standard of care is simply wrong. You know, it's, it's unfortunate that we I've had this conversation with many endocrinologists that they feel, that especially their practices, the big practices, and if they go outside their scope of practice and treat 
these underlying conditions with various combinations as opposed to what's on the shelf or something that's specifically personalized for them. They feel very nervous that they're going to get in trouble, like you said. And it's well, so you, important. You know where that comes from, don't you? You know where that's that right. comes from. It that's comes right. from the advertising, uh, the advertising push put on by the makers of Synthroid years and years ago, uh, and, and they had a major push uh, in marketing to sell their product called Synthroid. It's a synthetic T4. Uh, so that became the standard of care, not because of science, but because of marketing. And marketing has no place in medicine as as far as determining efficacy or standard of care. But unfortunately, that is exactly what happened. And now, endocrinologists in particular won't use anything but synthetic T4, uh, even though their own literature states that they should also use T3 in their combos. Uh, but most of them won't do that because they're scared their colleagues will think they're on the fringe, or they might get sued because of the fear mongers that tell them you have to do it this way. I mean, the drug company has them in the palm of their hand. It's unfortunate. They're smart people. They should have enough, you know, understanding of, of the situation to go beyond that and do what's best for the patient instead of what the drug company dictates that they should prescribe. Treating hormones, treating the endocrine system is complicated. And it, it takes is. a lot of skills because there's a balance of different uh, uh, endocrine axis, you know, the hypothalamus, the pituitary, the adrenals, all these have to be interact and they play off of each other because the body wants to get better. And I, I want to sh I share with you an email that we got from a uh, patient. I'd like to get your commentary on it. It said, Dr. Ma Dr. Nadi sent us, is, we got an email for a wife whose health is, uh, age is 82, in poor health, and she's suffering from a recent onset of dementia after a hip replacement. Her endocrinologist discontinued her thyroid, nature thyroid, and her TSH now is 8.7. She's been suffering from weak spells for over 20 years, and nobody seems to have the answers except now that she's old. You know, this is this is very <laughs> common today. And how many oh, people are... Or suffering from dementia and told that, you know what, there's not much you can do, get your affairs together. And this is the kind of thing that makes my blood boil and yours as well, because there are choices that people have in their health care, but they just have to be educated as to where to find them, right? Exactly. And it points out a problem for the patients out here. You go to your family doctor, and they know uh, uh, little or less than your endocrinologist knows who has a skewed outlook on the whole thing because of their training. And, again, these aren't bad people. They think they're doing the right thing. And that's why I called my book Dangerous Medicine. They really don't know. Uh, and and by uh, simply by accepting the standard of care as being correct, uh, it becomes a dangerous situation for people. Uh, these people are prone to heart disease or they're prone to many other diseases because the immune system suffers when the thyroid's low. And I know we're just talking about thyroid. It's the same with other hormones, believe it or not. Uh, it's it's really a, 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 it's a can of worms if you open it up and start looking at it, which I have. 
and it's a shame. And I try to educate other physicians as gently as possible because when you spend that much time in medical school and residency training programs and taking CME courses, you know, you tend to think you probably know what you're doing. And then when you start pointing out, hey, guys and gals, uh, what you've been reading all these years is not exactly correct. So I've learned to not say you're just wrong. I say you're not exactly correct. I like that. That leads to a lot less opposition, and it opens them up. And the ones who actually, uh, you know, really want to help their, their patients, they start to listen. And, and that's the only way we're going to get to these people. Uh, but unfortunately, they're not teaching this in medical school still. They're still teaching thyroid the same way they did when I was there 50 years ago. Uh, and that's a real shame because they're missing five out of six, and these people are, are doomed to a life of misery, taking 15, 20 medications. And it's a real shame. That's right. And then they put them on antidepressants. Let me let me ask you a question. One of the if you look at this, we're talking about the standard of care, or maybe what you call the substandard standard of care, and compare it to what it is in other countries around the world. It is quite different. And if you yes. lay them side by side into many different metrics, this study done by the Kaiser Family Foundation found that the U.S. is not improving as quickly as other countries on the following categories. In premature death, death amenable to health care and disease burden, or the rates of all-cause mortality. So there are some fundamental problems when we have chronic conditions and being able for people to get the health care that they need. Is It seems like we're just missing the boat from other countries and we think that we have the best system, but maybe we're we're yeah. we're not may not be doing the right thing because we're spending more money than anybody else. Oh yeah, we're we're throwing all kinds of money at it, but we're not uh, we're not solving the problems. And and what we're talking about today is one of the ways to start solving these problems. But if you don't have people in positions of uh, authority making these changes, they don't happen. Uh, I know if there's more physicians like me out here, then they, the, the the public will demand it. But right now, you know, I'm in the minority. Uh, most physicians are scared to death that they're going to get sued if they drive the TSH below a certain point. And, oh, I hear it every day. I go to seminars and I ask people, why are you so concerned about the TSH with a normal pulse and no signs of hy- hyperthyroidism? They said, well, legally, you know, we can't uh, help defend you if you have a problem and you've driven the TSH too low. And that is a real statement that I heard from a well-known physician who teaches around the country. And I said, that's ludicrous. I said, uh, you know, let's be more interested in health and be proactive in, in promoting the proper way of doing this instead of sticking to this substandard of care. Uh, unfortunately, this marker, when we're talking about the thyroid, which is an important conduit to other conditions, people not able to heal as fast, being able to many times lose a lot of loss of hair, skin conditions, constipation, a whole list of conditions that people are chronically suffering from, from underactive thyroid. But it seems right. to be the hallmark is 
at TSH levels. And maybe if you can go through what TSH levels are and really how they're really an indirect test, not a direct test. Right, right. Well, TSH stands for thyroid stimulating hormone, and it's a hormone that's secreted by your a part of your brain called the pituitary gland, uh, which is controlled by the hy- uh, hypothalamus, which is another part of the brain. And the uh, the blood levels of uh, T3 and T4 affect the level of TSH. And when those are increased, it tells your hypothyroid, or your, I'm sorry, your uh, hypothalamus that there's enough thyroid in your system. Well, you're dealing with an imperfect system anyway. Otherwise, they wouldn't be hypothyroid. So we're expecting one part to act exactly correctly while the other's not acting correctly. And, and that's quite an assumption uh, for anyone to make because if it's, it's wrong in one way or defective in one way, it could be defective in another. Uh, there's just so many moving parts here. So you have to look at the patient and consider what are your symptoms Instead of looking at these erroneous uh, and misleading labs that they get, but the TSH is not a thyroid hormone. It's a pituitary hormone, and it's telling doctors, it's giving them a, a, a glance at what the thyroid gland is doing, and it's saying if it's too low, it's saying, oh, you, you're taking too much thyroid. In most cases, that's not true. Even endocrinologist literature lists that the thyroid uh, TSH can be very low, almost zero, and you still be normal-functioning thyroid. That's in their own literature, but they don't read. And that's an unfortunate thing because what happens when the thyroid gets too low is that they reduce the levels of, of what they're treating with, and the person becomes hypothyroid again. And it's, it's just an absolute disaster. And instead of looking at the patient, they continue to look at these silly labs that are misleading. Instead of looking at the main hormone, which is T3, and the free portion of that T3 is the most important lab you can get uh, in regard to thyroid. And most people don't check calcitonin and things of that nature that's secreted by the thyroid too, uh, which can cause other problems, but I I won't get into that. Um, But that's the the problem with, uh, with... looking at these labs and accepting it as a proper standard of care. It can lead to problems, and it's dangerous. Because what can, what can uh, thyroid lead, low thyroid lead to? It can lead to increased lipids, you know, cholesterol, which everybody's right. all concerned about, which is really not a problem, uh, not the way they're being taught in medical school. Uh, hypertension, uh, pain in the joints, pain in the muscles, fibromyalgia. Uh, arthritis, uh, immune system problems, um, depression. If you take all that away, look at what would happen uh, to the manufacturers of all the drugs that treat hypercholesterolemia, you know, the statins, which I I can't stand. They're usually not necessary, and it's never been proven that they do much of anything. Um, And also the hypertensive, antihypertensive medications, Look at all those that are available. Look at all the non or the uh, the uh, the uh, uh, SSRIs, the antidepressants uh, that are available. Look at all the drugs for arthritis. Look at all the drugs for muscle pain, fibromyalgia. You take all that away, and you have really 
cut into their income. So there is a reason to keep this myth going, at least by the people who give a lot of grants to medical schools. It's because if you really treat most of the people with hypothyroidism, a lot of these things are going to go away. And that would be <laughs> that would be disastrous prof, uh, profit-wise for drug companies. And it doesn't make the drug companies bad people. You know, they want to sell their drugs. There's a reason to do that. And, and many, many of the drugs are wonderful. But when, they're, when you have to put out a false narrative to sell your product, then that is wrong. And that's what affects the standard of care. You know, like you said, the practitioners of standard of care, they are nervous because there's medical boards this is a very hot area if they overtreat thyroid they can be brought up on disciplinary hearings and it can be a very expense it's a minimum of ten to twenty thousand dollars just to defend yourself so i can understand i can you know we all can understand why they're they're taking that risk of or when they treat thyroid unfortunately properly so it, it's, yeah. it's, it's really unfortunate. And I think we go to another area where you're talking about the endocrine balance because the thyroid works very, very nicely in concert with the adrenal glands. And these, these glands on, on top of the kidneys are also something that it's not brought into the equation of balancing. Because like you said, the, the hormones work in symphony with all of the interactions of the, of the endocrine system, including adrenals and pituitary. But adrenals are not even addressed as well, and that's an area that you treat a lot of patients with as well. I do. I do. Well, we're taught two things about, uh, uh, about uh, adrenal dysfunction. First of all, we learn about Addison's disease. Addison's disease is low cortisol, okay? It's caused by low to no cortisol. And it's a very, very serious disease. Uh, President Kennedy had uh, Addison's. Uh, That's what gave him his tan. (laughs) (laughs) He was very tan, but at a a price. The other one is Cushing syndrome, which is an excess of cortisol. Well, cortisol is not the only uh, hormone that's secreted by the adrenals, but when cortisol is low, then you assume that uh, other things are going to be high, like uh, epinephrine, adrenaline, which is secreted by the, uh, the adrenal gland as well. It's in a different part of the adrenal gland. But I often see people with low cortisol that have panic attacks. And they have panic attacks because they have this excess epinephrine that's being put out by an overactive gland that's trying to make more cortisol. And you have other things too, aldosterone and DHEA, things of that nature. DHEA is a neural hormone. Uh, that's basically what it does. It helps with your memory and thought uh, process. Uh, it, it can be converted into uh, estrogen and into testosterone as well, but its main function is neurologic. It, it's it's also a very powerful gland for hormone replacement because when the, uh, women go through menopause, their ovaries stop making those hormones, and the adrenals take over. So it's a it is. So stress uh, plays a big role. So it's important to have adrenal function proper. But tell us, this is another... You know, you, you just said something that I have to comment on. And this is something for all the guys out there. They need to understand this. Uh, men also go through this, this 
change process. Uh, it's not called menopause. I guess some people could call it male menopause. And the reason why it's been shunned is because of, uh, many men think that's a, that's a non-masculine thing to go through. It's not. It's a normal process. Here's the difference. Uh, menopause, you know, women's change of, of hormones, takes place rather abruptly in the, in the great sphere of things. Men to, uh, go through this process in a gradual fashion. Starting about the age of 25, your testosterone goes down, and by the age of 50 or 55, you start looking in the mirror wondering who that guy is. Hey, where'd <laughs> the guy go that I used to know that when he looked back at me, in, at, at me in the mirror? So this process is a natural thing that happens, and if you're content to get old quicker, then don't do anything about it because we're taught in medical school not to give testosterone to men. Uh, because it could cause uh, prostate cancer or heart disease. Uh, none of those two, uh, those things are not, uh, that is not uh, correct. But that's what we're still teaching. As a matter of fact, I remember one of my professors saying, giving uh, testosterone to a man with uh, prostate cancer is like pouring gasoline on a fire. Or giving a man that uh, testosterone with cardiovascular disease will make it worse. Well, we now know that is absolutely the very opposite. You should be giving testosterone to men with cardiovascular disease, even though this silly study that came out in JAMA, oh, four or five years ago, saying there was a 30-something percent increase of MIs in men over the age of 60 given testosterone. Uh, the the uh, data was cherry-picked, and it was uh, in error. Uh, I remember speaking to the head of the uh, uh, um, this is the European study on cardiovascular change, uh, cardiovascular disease. His name is Dr. Michael Hansen, and I spoke to him about that very article, and he said it was one of the most pseudo-scientific articles ever published in that magazine because it was absolutely untrue. So that's just another area that I'm talking about, and it's dangerous to not give these men testosterone because it pretty much uh, gives them a death sentence if they, if they have any cardiovascular changes. You know, it's unfortunate. The reimbursement from insurance companies are also dictating policy. Men oh, yeah. Absolutely. are not reimbursed for testosterone therapy because of abuse and being characterized as using it for bodybuilding or other means that is not considered uh, therapeutic. So men are being denied coverage for testosterone therapy, even topical or injection. And it's really, again, another disservice that many of them are using it for depression. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you find these uh, men, 55, 60 years old, depressed, uh, argumentative, uh, you know, irascible. Uh, you look at their testosterone and their free levels down at 50, which is considered normal, by the way, and you put them on testosterone, those symptoms start going away. It's amazing, isn't it? Uh, oh, it, it, but, yeah, it is. We're, we're taught these things. It's, it's unfortunate because this costs people their lives, and it costs them their quality of life. There's so much that goes on and so many things involved with this. But if we keep teaching physicians the way we're doing, 
it's not going to change. Uh, uh, you know, that, that's why the book is out there for people to read that, that tells you exactly uh, what is going on and what studies to go read. I point out the studies that are available for people to read. You know, the, the sad part is I'll tell doctors and doctors read the book. They don't go read. <laughs> they don't want to know this. They've already made up their minds, and that's very unfortunate because they would have to have change their whole outlook on the way they look at hormones. And that's not good. Well, it's it, it's when you start to break it down into small pieces and you're putting together all these therapies that we've talked about. We, we talked about the, the use of thyroid for many, many chronic conditions used for uh, balancing cortisol levels for the adrenals for many conditions as well. And also testosterone therapy, what it what it's useful, especially for males and females. You're seeing a trend here, like we were mentioning in this Kaiser's Family Foundation study, is the amount of the gap that is occurring between us and all other countries because of the disease burden that we have. And I think it's if you read deep into this study, it's many of these chronic diseases that the way they're being treated is much different here than it is in other parts of the world. Unfortunately, even the studies talks about the age standardized disability adjusted life is worse in the United States than any other country. And the best in the world is Japan, believe it or not. So these, and many times these patients are being considered disabled. It makes they're not being a productive member of our society. So it's a burden. Right. It and is. it's an it's a huge economic <clears throat> burden, so unfortunately, is uh, putting money on it doesn't make a difference because we're spending more money, as the study says, than anywhere else in the world. Sometimes by a factor of two, but the the rate of people that are recovering is less than anywhere else in the world. Yes. So it's not about it's not about exactly. money, is it? No, no, it, it's about education, and and the more you can educate people to the to what's really going on, the better off we'll be, but it's just going to take time. You know, you mentioned Japan. Very interesting uh, country. Uh, Japan, Okinawa, that area there. Um, I used to think iodine was it was, a, it was it was a terrible thing to give people iodine because we were sufficient. And then I started educating myself as opposed to what I learned in medical school. Didn't do much in, in physical medicine in regard to iodine in my residency training program, but medical school teaches everybody the same thing, that too much iodine can really cause big problems. You can get toxicity to iodine, you know, so-called iodism. Right. So as a result of, <laughs> and as a result of getting that kind of education, we all develop what's called iodophobia. <laughs> I like that. Of <laughs> Fear of iodine. And, uh, you know, years and years ago, when I was in my residency training program, I, moon, I moonlighted in a general practice, and I remember giving a, um, an anti-tussie that contained iodine. And I was perplexed because of the, the amount of iodine I was giving people should have called, caused this iodism, but it didn't. So that was when I first started questioning it. Uh, but then I started reading some stuff from Guy Abraham. He wrote the, uh, I can't remember the name of his book, but one of the most interesting things I've ever read on the subject. 
And then I found out the people in Japan per capita take in more than 45 milligrams of iodine a day. 45 wow. milligrams. That is over 300 times what is recommended in this country. So if it's causing such a big problem, why are the people in Japan so darn healthy? Doesn't and it's natural. That's, they're getting it naturally from They're getting many it of, naturally. But right. you can still get the uh, you can still get the forms in 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 a capsule. Uh, mm-hmm. I give I give uh, uh, iodine and, and potassium iodide in uh, in uh, ca- capsule form, twelve and a half milligrams a day. That's nowhere near forty five. But right. the endocrinologists in this country recommend point two uh, milligrams, one fifth of one milligram. Now that might be sufficient for your thyroid, but what about your immune system? And we now know that the intake of iodine helps prevent breast cancer. And the people with the Susan G. Coleman Center should be eating this up and telling all women to take iodine. But will they? No, because they'll go to their family doctor and ask them who they know nothing other than what they learned in medical school, same as me. Oh, no, you don't need more than 0.2 milligrams. And then they mislead everybody. And that's called dangerous. You know, it's to many problems. The number one drug dispensed in pharmacies 60 years ago was Armour Thyroid, right? Right. And and iodine. Those were the biggest. It's iodorol or was was yes. one of the biggest. Yeah. So there were iodine-based drugs and thyroid were the number one dispensed products. Exactly. And, and then the now, drug industry got involved and, and yep. uh, turned it all around uh, to our to our own demise, <clears throat> and that's where okay. it all comes from because the training and, programs are funded by the drug companies. And many times, you know, there is a moratorium how much liquid, how much iodine you can buy, iodorol. I was not because, aware of that. No. Yeah, unfortunately, oh, you mean the, the general population is that. What no, you no. Pharmacies are only allowed one bottle at a time because <laughs> of liquid iodine, because potassium iodine, because it's used in meth making methamphetamine. Oh, I was not aware of that. I did not know that. It, it, so I, there, there is. It, it's used in uh, off-label use of improper. So a lot of meth labs uh, use iodine. I, I don't really know the formula. I haven't I, made any methamphetamine I, lately. <laughs> but, I, was uh, not aware, I was really not aware of that, Ray. I did I got not a, know that. That's interesting. A, a naturopath that uh, lives close by uses iodine. He has his patients put it on topically, treating thyroid. Yeah. And, you know, in, in Texas, uh, naturopaths cannot really practice medicine, so they have to be very right. careful. But they use uses iodine topically for his patients and his practice and works well. Yeah. But he, um, we, I've, if you get more than so many bottles, you got to sign some papers and you have to have some allotments. So it's, is it, you know, it's something that's inexpensive and the price now is forty fifty dollars yeah. a bottle, which used to be three dollars a bottle. Well, <laughs> and, and look who's look who's and look who's driving uh, the the situation in the wrong direction. The illicit users of iodine, the right. criminals, the criminals, the, the idiots out here making it hard for healthy people to stay healthy. 
and I hope they I hope they get them and put them in jail and keep them in jail. Uh, the illicit use of anything like this is is just simply wrong, and it it hurts us all. It hurts everybody. Uh, and then doctors get the the idea that it's a bad substance when it's one of the most healthy substances that we need, uh, and that's so unfortunate. It's 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 a shame to see that happen. You change the subject for just a moment, Doctor Not. One of the things that you do very well is regenerative medicine. Yes. And you you mentioned as we talked at the beginning of the show that hormones play a big role in healing. And it's really yeah. important for people to heal from injuries, joint problems, or, or injury accidents. And But regenerative medicine works very much in concert with the hormones. Maybe you can spend a little bit of time explaining what regenerative medicine is, because unfortunately today we, we sometimes don't really believe we can regenerate joints as opposed to just replacing them. Well, I mean, if I were a surgeon, I would I would have to say, yeah, that's that's the way it is. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but no, we can do a lot of things with joints and tendons and ligaments and capsules of joints uh, to to heal them and and bring them back to their their former uh, relevance in the system. Um, I started doing a procedure known as prolotherapy over forty years ago. Uh, taught to taught to me by one of the pioneers in that field uh, of regenerative medicine. His name was Kent Pomeroy. Uh, he was uh, he was in the uh, program where I did my internship, and um, so I was so fortunate to spend some time with him and got to know many of the people in uh, this defined area of medicine called regenerative medicine. So I guess I ought to define that. We're not we're not talking about you know regenerating organs or uh, you know the the new lung or the heart or the kidneys. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about uh, restoring function of joints and tendons and ligaments, the, all the structures that hold us together and prevent pain in the joints and the extremities. Uh, and and it's quite useful. It's been proven. There's over. Uh, 150 articles on the subject, and uh, as recent as uh, 20 years ago, we started uh, using patients' own blood to spin down to extract the uh, uh, the growth factors from the platelets. We call it platelet-rich plasma. And there's uh, advertisements on TV and the newspaper. Uh, all come to our clinic. We're doing uh, stem cells. Unfortunately, many of those people don't know what they're doing. They're simply trying to make a buck and their, their prices mm -hmm. are extremely high and they get some un, un, uh, unskilled physician there and these are usually non-physicians pushing this and I would advise people if they read about it in a newspaper unless it's an article written about it uh, if they read about it it's an advertisement in a magazine or newspaper stay away from it because they're probably not exactly legitimate uh, and, and they're popping up everywhere. And it's run by ancillary people or people that are not medical at all. You know, it, it works, believe me. And it I've, oh, I've, yeah. it, it's, uh, I've had a recent uh, bulging disc in my back recently yeah. and used yeah. the lysate, PRP lysates right. for the epidural. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, it amazingly 
recovery faster than normal. Absolutely. But you know, it's it's absolutely <laughs> amazing that everybody that I speak to tries to convince me that I must have back surgery. I must oh, have no. a oh, disectomy. I must have a disectomy. <laughs> I must I must go into surgery. And it, it yeah. is it is the everybody is so trained and maybe brainwashed that there's one they solution. Are. They are surgery. brainwashed and that's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Sur- because surgery. usually well in, in many cases now I have to give give them where credit where credit's due. Uh, if there's an indication for surgery and you can take out an offending uh, bone chip or, or you can take a disc material out of a certain area, enlarge the foramen surgically, and, and the patient uh, gets uh, or, or loses the chemical irritation from, uh, from that material and they get better and they don't have any atrophy and, uh, or pain, then surgery works. But unfortunately... Most surgeries in the back and neck do not work properly. Right. And it's because of a lack of proper workup. Uh, but how are people to know what a proper workup is? Well, you've got to be in a city uh, that knows, uh, uh, that trains physicians how to identify these particular patients, this particular patient population. Uh, for example, I'm in Atlanta, and we don't have a residency training program here who teaches uh, fledgling doctors that the most important study to identify radiculopathies in the neck and lower back, radiculopathy is a nerve root irritation, that the most important study is electrodiagnostic studies, not an MRI. So you get a you, you have neck pain and arm pain or lower back pain and leg pain, you automatically get sent for an MRI. Right. That's not the right study. You can have you can have the problem with a normal MRI, or you can have an abnormal MRI, and that is not what's causing the problem. So they don't get the study that is necessary. I trained at Ohio State, and you know they had a great residency program, and the success rate for back surgery in, in Columbus, Ohio is very high because you don't get surgery for anything like that without electrodiagnostic studies. It's, that's, it just sounds, another, that's just no, another area that is uh, standard of care is pretty poor. And it's just, it is an area that is reimbursable, but it's not really well understood. Uh, it isn't. It, it isn't. It, <clears throat> and, and if you throw in, you talk about uh, neck injuries and back injuries, but one of the things that I've heard is shoulder in knee dysfunction and problems respond very well. I see those those all the time. Absolutely. When you have a a shoulder problem like a rotator cuff problem or chondromalacia patella with arthritis of your knee or the involvement of the ligaments, the prolotherapy, the uh, PRP works very, very well. You know, I'll tell you something interesting. About 20 years ago, you know, uh, the, the major... Uh, opponent, a group in particular of prolotherapy, have been orthopedic surgeons. Now, it doesn't take you long to figure out why they're, they're opposed <laughs> to prolotherapy, okay? So let's be frank here. You know, it would eat into their profit if prolotherapy works. Well, we've known it worked for, for 50, 60 years. We know that. We've proven. 
But the orthopedists have been our main opponents. And when PRP came about <clears throat> several years ago, I predicted at a national meeting, I said, now PRP is going to catch on because you're taking your own blood and spinning it, so you're not injecting uh, uh, dextrose and, and uh, uh, glycerin and things of that nature to uh, stimulate release of growth factors. You're injecting your own blood, your, your blood components. And I said, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. And I said, the orthopedists are going to start doing this. And they're going to take credit for PRP. And look what's happened. Now they're the big experts. Now now PRP, they say, works. I say, well, prolotherapy does the same thing, essentially. So why doesn't that work? They can't explain that one. And they can't <laughs> explain why stem cells work and prolotherapy doesn't work. Here's the difference. Prolotherapy is cheap. You know, I, I treat a knee for $300. I probably shouldn't be telling people that because there are people out here that are taking $5,000 from people to treat their knee. It's absurd. And they're using their PRP, they're drawing their own blood, they're spinning it down, and they're charging them that kind of money. The hip, the knee, the neck, the lower back, the shoulder. Uh, I can treat all of that with prolotherapy and charge them, my gosh, so much less that it's, it's, it's not even funny. And that's available throughout the country. There's a, there's a network of physicians that do prolotherapy. But the profit-led uh, people are really pushing PRP and pushing uh, stem cells, which is fine. I mean, it works, but so does prolotherapy. Uh, and I've always thought, you know, uh, why spend more money when you can spend less and do the same thing? You know, it, it, there's a simple solutions to very complicated problems, and that's what I like best about you. And and and, and definitely your book, Dangerous Medicine: What Your Doctor Doesn't Know Can Hurt You, is goes through a lot of these therapies as well. Doctor, not I wanted to ask you: Have you do you have what is your feelings or your opinion of IV ozone therapy in addition to using these uh, other uh, solutions we talked about, like prolotherapy and PRP. Are you a uh, proponent of ozone? Well, I, I'm not an advocate, and uh, I'm and, and I'm not uh, I'm not against it. I'm neither because I don't use it. Uh, and you'll find what physicians aren't up on, they're down on. And I'm I'm of the same ilk. <laughs> but I do have friends that I have a lot of faith in that do use it, and they swear by it. Um, I have a very good friend in Rochester, New York, that uses it a lot. His name is John Finkenstadt, and he uh, he has told me the, the miraculous results that he has with ozone therapy. And I believe him. He has no reason to tell me any different. Uh, but I don't have enough experience to give you my, any advice on that one way or the other. It's it's a it's it's a little bit of a capital investment for some offices. They use ozone right. therapy, a little bit of training. Uh, it's it, it's important to for people that are listening to our show and what we talk about is simple solutions. And many times you have to be a little bit educated because you have choices in your healthcare. This is, uh, you, you have a choice of where you want to get your, uh, get healed who you want to choose. And unfortunately there are some non very, some, some non expensive uh, programs out there, but it may be a little inconvenient it may be something right. that is not 
well understood by all of your friends and relatives. And unfortunately, the biggest problem is peer pressure. Oh, um, no doubt about that. It, it is. I mean, how many times in your practice have you worked with a, a patient, male or female, and everything you left the office and everything is, you thought everything was understood properly? And then you get the phone call from the spouse or somebody else and say, <laughs> right? Tell us, I'm sure you get those stories, right? What are we doing here? I, oh, oh, all the time. I don't get them as much as I used to uh, because most of the physicians around here know of me and know that my patients get better and are healthy. So they really don't say anything. But in the beginning stages, you know, 25 years ago, oh, your thyroid's too high. It's dangerously high. They have a pulse of 68, and it's dangerously high. If it's dangerously high, then what, what's the problem here? Uh, I suppose their TSH is low, so they're going to get uh, osteoporosis. You know low TSH does not cause osteoporosis. We ta we're taught that as well. You get osteoporosis from the lack of, uh, the lack of sex hormones, and it happens mostly in women. Uh, and instead of giving them the hormones that would restore their uh, their bones to proper density, uh, they don't give them hormones anymore based upon a, a study that was 13 years ago called the Women's Health Care Initiative Study, or Women's Health Initiative Study. And it really led a, a lot of people astray, including doctors who tend not to read studies and don't know how to read them. And as a result, they assume that all hormones are bad. Well, first of all... Right. It's about one prop, uh, product. It was called Primpro. Primpro is uh, uh, horse estrogen, which was uh, known as Primarin, still is sold. And I don't have too big of a problem with horse estrogen being used in women, but there are several hormones in there that aren't meant for human beings, so I'm just wondering, well, why using it in people? Uh, but I, it, it seems to not cause too much of a problem. But the problem arises when you use a synthetic progesterone, which they refer to as progestins, and it's so widely accepted now that people think that's the right thing to give women. Well, the study proved them wrong and showed that there was an increased incidence of stroke, heart attack, and cancer in these patients. And they still sell that stuff, believe it or not. But that study led to the, to the misinformation in, in medical professionals and in the general public so that a lot of women who need hormones are not taking them. It, it is very unfortunate, and they're switching over to Beneva, the biphosphates, which is it's sure. also the same chemical that's used for uh, dishwasher detergent, and it causes yeah. uh, tremendous problems with the bones, and it maybe makes them stiffer on a bone density test, but it doesn't make them functionally right dense uh, no. so that's unfortunate no. it, it, well, you, don't get osteo, you don't get osteoporosis uh, uh, from the lack of, uh, uh, of those those drugs you get it because of the lack of sex hormones exactly uh, you know again uh, again that's just a a, uh, a common sense way of looking at things but you know doctors for the most part the the funniest slide we've ever seen uh, in a in a medical convention was a friend of mine had a this is back when we had, I'm dating myself this is back when we had slides <laughs> the slide showed 
and the slide, his, his initial slide in the presentation, and it showed God's hand reaching into the medical student classroom, and he was removing the common sense of every student in there. <laughs> wow. And that is never let that... it be said that doctors have a lot of common sense. I mean, I have friends. I mean, they're smart as whips, but they have no common sense. And I'm thinking, I look at them, really? I mean, you don't really believe that, do you? And I get blank looks, and um, uh, they say, I'm glad you wrote the book. That's nice, but it's it's a little out there, isn't it? I said, well, it just goes against a lot of the, your beliefs on standard of care. I said, open your mind and read. I know read. you can. <laughs> it's it's amazing what you know when you don't read. And and, yeah. and if, if we learn anything from our podcast today, as we're going to have to wrap up, is that common sense should be practiced by not only your practitioner, but also the patient. And that's what, exactly. what's really important. And your, your book is available on Amazon, Dangerous Medicine, What Your Doctor Doesn't Know Can Hurt You. And Dr. G. Knott, MD, out of Marietta, Georgia, Health Horizons. And Dr., give us your, your contact information and your website, as we, I'm sure we'll get uh, our listeners want to get more information. Well, most people can find me by just, uh, you know, Googling my name, Ken G. Knott, MD, and a lot of information comes up, a lot of YouTube videos and information about the book. Uh, if they want to call us, you know, we're in Marietta, Georgia, which is a suburb of Atlanta, which is growing so fast I'm sick of it. Um, <laughs> but, but, the, uh, but the telephone number of my office is area code 770-421-8094. They can find me that way or just Google me. And if you, have any, if you want to get a hold of Dr. Knott, please call us at uh, PD Labs. Area code 512-219-0724, and we'll have your information and this show on our website, pdlabsrx.com, and on our website, Healthy Choices XM. Dr. Knott, it's been so enjoyable having you on our show today, and I know that you, a lot of your patients we deal with on a day-to-day basis and sing your praises, and you've helped so many people, and you've, you've stuck your knuckle out for this book and other things that you do, and and it's it's uh, you've done a great service for all of us, and you know, one of the things that's really interesting on your on the back cover of your book, I've never really noticed it before. You've got a, a I guess, a, a picture of a number of prescription drugs, and you put a skull and crossbones on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was, that was the editor that suggested that, but it's, it's quite correct. <laughs> well, I guess I won't put that skull and cross wounds on any of our labels. But anyway, Dr. Knott, thanks again for being on our show today. You're listening to Healthy Choices XN, and we'll have you back on again and be able to help some more patients, okay? Great. Thank you for having me.